guys, you're listening to another episode of the Walk Around Knowledge Podcast with Low Millie, where I break down topics I've learned while securing my legacy. Think about it as knowledge you should be armed with while navigating through life. Let's take a walk. Last episode, we talked about the intentional or the intentionality around succession planning and what that looked like for me and my father and the rest of my family as we were, you know, charting the path to the end of his life. And so this week we're going to talk about the end, like that last year of, you know, where I was business wise, where he was, um, and the things that kind of came from that. And so I'm going to give a disclaimer now. I ain't trying to cry, right? But I have not revisited this time in detail, like in terms of like telling people like this in a while. So we're going to see. So, you know, my whole experience taking care of my father, when we would talk about, the end, like the end. Um, he will always tell me like, Lauren, I'm going to tell you when, when it's the end. Like, I'm not going to go unless, um, you know, you, I'm not going to go without you knowing, you know what I mean? It's going to be okay. And, you know, I believed him and, you know, given the disease that he had, the, reality or of how he was going to go we somewhat knew the doctors just said that you know there's going to be a time where he has exacerbation and he's on life support and he's not going to be able to get off that is more than likely going to be it it's just a matter of when right um and when his lung functions get to the point to where they just can't you know function anymore so you know throughout the last you know four years we knew this um And still, like, you know, I had seen my father have at least 15 to 20 hospital stints and get out, right? You know what I mean? Get through that, get past it. And to the point to where, you know, I I, I tell people that there were so many times, I remember one time being in the ICU where the doctor was just like, this is it. Like, y'all need to, this is the last five minutes. This is it. And it not being it. And that motherfucker pulling through. And I will always tell people, like, I feel like my father is an ox, y'all. Like, he got 10 lives. And so the flip side about that is, you know, I tell people that I felt like I mourned my father's funeral at least four or five times before he actually passed. But it also gives you this false sense of, like, we can make it through anything. Like he, you done been so close so many times. Like it ain't gonna ever be the end. You know what I mean? But realizing like you're going through so much trauma, even in the midst of it. So in 2017, um, you know, this is the essentially like kind of like the last real year of my father's life. And so outside of his lung disease, he had other issues. Um, other issues, you know, from old age, just other conditions. And I will tell people as a side note, do not wait till you get older to deal with your health. Okay. Because you may find yourself in a situation where, oh, that one, nothing. Oh, that one, nothing. But now you got a big issue and that, oh, that one, nothing. Oh, that one, nothing makes that one issue way worse. And so that's some of what we were dealing with. And so my 
father had an ostomy, which I don't want to get into the details because, uh, but essentially, um, he had ostomy, a part of his intestines on the outside of his body that was connected to a bag. And it was just causing so many issues and it was growing bigger, 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 and bigger. And it caused so much discomfort for him. And so he really wanted that operation, which was to alleviate pressure on his lungs. He wanted the operation to be reversed. And mind you, like in this year, in 2017, we at this juncture know pretty much any and everything about the disease. We had probably reached or gotten to a level of the best quality of life that my father had probably experienced with this disease because we know about the right medicines. We know when he needs to take them. We know, you know, the signs before an exacerbation happens. We know the right amount of rehab. Like we, we know, we know, you know what I mean? It's the point where we had even got to the point where my dad could breathe for an extended period of time, like for hours at a time without oxygen on. Like that's, um, that's how much we learned and just beat the fuck out of that disease. You know what I mean? Like, and I remember telling like, I cannot believe that. Like there are times we ain't no shit and we, you know, was close to death so many times, you know what I mean? Um, and it felt like we had beat it. And so there was a, um, there was a level of uh, relief that I had experienced in 2017. Cause right around 2016, 17, we had the funds to actually hire a care staff of like CNAs. So although I was still, you know, the power of attorney, main caregiver, if you will, I now had a care team because we could afford it. You know, I mentioned on a pre- a couple of episodes that if you got a terminal illness in America and you got no money, you ain't going to make it. Like you really need though. Like that's a story for another day. But anyway, so we had the means to bring in a care team and so this has given me a little bit a lot more freedom in my life I still have to check in of course daily um and still you know make sure I'm keen on doctors and all that kind of stuff but I don't have to physically be there as much or feel like he's in danger if somebody's not physically around him so you know this is we're we're feeling good um and 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 business wise I will say you know I'm going through the transition or 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 finalizing the transition of going from a founder to a CEO, what I will say was prompted by, you know, watching my father be CEO and learning, you know, different aspects of business. And, you know, I'm gearing up to relaunch the brand or, or, or officially launch the business behind the can't say put brand, you know, things are relatively good as they can be considering. Right. <clears throat> I will say, so, you know, the end of 2016 and 2017 was probably like the the best time period within this time period. You know, it was relatively good as can be considering all of these factors going on. You know what I mean? It's like I don't <laughs> want to sell the belief that things are great because I'm still juggling three balls. He's still dying. All of these things are still happening. But even for all of that, we had established like a normal of like, okay, we got ordered. The caregivers got a schedule. They get paid. They get paid, um, you know, every two weeks. They know the doctors. We know the medicine. You know, we just have a good command over the situation. 
So circling back to what I had mentioned before about how my dad had shared that, um, you know, when he goes out, it's going to be because of him. You know what I mean? Um, He's going to let let us know. And so when I had shared about how he had this ostomy bag and his his intestines on the outside, it was growing. He had a hernia and it was causing him a lot of issues. It was making it hard for him to work or to be mobile. And so he really wanted to be reversed. And, you know, he was advocating for this reversal pretty much all of 2017. Doctors were like, no, you can't do it. The risks are too high. You know, we don't think you're going to make it. Uh, And, you know, he's just advocating because he was like, you know, with this situation, his thinking was, you know, there could be a day I cough way too hard and I'm in an emergency situation and my intestines is all out. You know what I mean? And then now you guys are working under a dire situation. Why not come into the hospital under the control situation, do this reversal. It's planned. It's thought out. Um, and it's not an emergency situation with this reversal. Uh, and so, you know, after the doctors tell him no all year long, because he's had to get all his doctors in the same place, the heart, you know, heart doctor, lung doctor, ENT, all of these moving parts, because we, you know, we got a list of like 10, 10 doctors we're dealing with. They all have to be like, this is okay. Um, and, you know, the reality is any type of surgery that requires you to go under when you already have a lung disease, it's very smart for you not to do it because it's very likelihood that you ain't going to make it. Um, but I will say that in those four years, my dad was the type of person where he was not going to be okay with not seeking better. So if I can have a better quality of life than what I have now, I'm going to take the risk. I don't care if the risk is death. I, he just doesn't, he has never been the type to settle for something if it can be better. And so that was something that I always knew about my dad. But even in this, right, I remember saying, I don't even want to say, say, I remember begging. I begged him not to have the surgery because I just, I just didn't think that it was going to um, end well. You know, I was just like, you know, this is this is the optimal time that we've ever, you know, been with this disease. Like things are stable. We got a care staff. Like I know this situation with this ostomy and this bag and this hernia and your intestines being out. You got to go to the bathroom in this bag. Like I know, you know, this is a lot. You know what I mean? But like, no, because I need you here and I just don't want like let like let's not disrupt this. You know what I mean? And, you know, he heard me and and listened to me and he was like, baby, you know, your father has to live with this. You know what I mean? And, you know, I know, you know, you know, daddy is able to talk. He's here. He was like, but I'm living with this sickness and with this ostomy, this discomfort every single day and I'm suffering. And I know for you you understand the level of risk around me dying. But living like this is a version of it. You know what I mean? Because I'm suffering. And so, you know, I still pleaded with him. 
I cried and cried and I said, you know, no, because I knew, you know what I'm saying? Um, but my dad's hard headed, you know what I'm saying? And and not even just hard headed. He's he wa- he's the type to not give up. You know, this is somebody who was sick as hell for years and was still running his business, was still getting into clients ass, was still advocating on behalf of black people. You know what I mean? Still living and walking his purpose when he could barely breathe. So I knew if there was, you know, he didn't advocate this whole year to get these doctors on the same path, try to get his lung function test as high as possible to go undergo the surgery. So I knew he was serious and, you know, he wasn't going to be back backing down. Um, And so simultaneously, I'm going through this transition with Can't Stay Put. I'm like transitioning from a founder to a CEO. I'm about to launch this, the business behind my brand. I'm doing it with this, you know, premier event, no flight necessary. And so on the back of my mind, as I'm prepping and, you know, building out for no flight necessary, I'm just thinking back in my mind, like, Lauren, like, does this even make sense to be doing this right now? You know what I mean? Like, you want to introduce the business behind your brand to the world. You're ready for this, but you know your dad's about to undergo this surgery that he probably is not going to make it out of, which means that you're not going to be able to deal with the fact that you done launched this event series and you're trying to launch the business behind your brand. But for whatever reason, I was, you know, was optimistic and my my dad was still encouraging me and pushing me to do it. Um, And I was still, you know, I was like, I'm doing this event. And I did the event. It was November 5th. And for those of you that don't know, No Flight Necessary was a, was supposed to be <laughs> a three city event series to kind of commemorate my graduation from a founder to a CEO. Um, and instead of it just being a event to kind of just celebrate, you know, my graduation, I wanted to do something that was, you know, something I felt that had never been done before. So what I did was brought together uh, five activations that appealed to all of your senses where you could taste food, dance, artwork, and experience these things from five different countries like Iceland, South Africa, um, Chile, and India. So we had people getting henna. You could taste shark, um, dancing uh, from Cuba, like it was a very culturally immersive event. And this was to commemorate um, my graduation from a founder to CEO to launch this business behind the brand. And the first one was supposed to take place in Atlanta, then DC and Oakland, all city locations that were very integral to my growth in business. Right. And so Atlanta was the first one. It was November 5th. My dad couldn't attend, um, but he was, my biggest advocate, he even invested in that event. And um, and I remember counting down to it. He was so proud. He was like, you need to call. You need to call the news stations and give them a tip. He was like, that's how you get free pub. And I was like, well, he's like, call the news stations and tell them that there's just no fight necessary event going on. And they're bringing, you know, people from all over the world. It's immersive. And I was like, dad, you're doing the most. And I was like, he was like, no, that's what you need to do because watch the news show up. I end up not doing it, but I say all that to say that he was just as proud or ingrained in what I was doing um, as, I, as I was. And he would have killed to have been there. And I remember the event. It took place November 5th. It was a Saturday. 
family and friends and people from my tribe and clients flew in from all over. The event was so dope. You know what I mean? I was so proud. It was uh, so much work, but I was so stressed. I was so skinny. Um, I don't know if people knew all of what was going on personally, but I knew that we were preparing for this funeral. I mean, not funeral. We were preparing for this surgery. I knew that we were likely at the end. I knew there was nothing I could do to get my dad to not move forward with this surgery. Um, so I was just preparing for that. And you could, I could physically see it. And like, I'm sure you could look back now and like, oh yeah, that girl was definitely going through something, but I was pushing through. Right. Um, so that was November 5th. My father went to the hospital for the surgery, I think November 17th. Yeah. When in November 17th of, of November and, uh, had the surgery, made it out of the surgery. Um, and it was, you know, the road to road to recovery. And those, that first week I was like, you know, okay. Um, and I remember him, him being conscious cause we got close to Thanksgiving and, he him being in so much pain and he was just like, I shouldn't have did it. And um and I was like, Well, we here now. And um but he was just like, it's just so much pain, you know. Um and he was still on the ventilator, on the CPAP. Um, and, you know, slow recovery. They were like, you know, it's gonna take a while and after two weeks things weren't getting better and uh a couple of weeks after that things still weren't getting better and um then there were other issues like things were erupting and he couldn't breathe and when they would try to take him off he couldn't breathe and you know that's when the conversations started to happen like you know this this may, this may be the time, you know? Um, and I just remember like being in that ICU. I remember going to the hospital every day. Like, you know, we spent Thanksgiving in the hospital, spent Christmas in the hospital, 2017, um, just advocating like, well, we can try this. We can try this. Or what about this? Or well, we just need to give it a little bit more time or, you know, wait for this. And, um, you know, just exhausting all options, right? You know what I mean? Because we got to the point where he was conscious and then he wasn't. And I would say from about mm, after, like, I would say January, he wasn't conscious anymore. Um, and so I just remember sitting down with him and, you know, just making peace with myself and just like, you know, coming to the terms where I was just like, you know, uh, I'm okay with um, feeling this pain so you don't have to feel it anymore. And, um, you know, I just was thinking about or like thinking about that whole year, right, and the things that we had did as he laid there in the hospital and one of the memories that came up for me was our last trip down to the farm. And 
it was on my grandfather's 90th birthday. My dad really wanted to go down. He was like, I want to go down on my dad's birthday. And he was like, I want to take, um, I want to take the route that I would take as a young boy when I used to leave, you know, when I would come up to Morehouse or go back home from Atlanta. And so we are, you know, driving this old route and, you know, doing things a lot slower, driving places. And I thought back and I was like, you know, he knew that I was, that that was his last time going down there on this side. And I hadn't thought about it. Right. You know, and I think about the text and I'm going to read this to you guys because I go back and read my dad's texts between us all the time because just so many, like that's something I didn't mention. My dad texts me every morning between eight and nine. Good morning, Lauren, literally every single morning, every single morning, sometimes for annoyance. I'm like, you ain't my man. You text me more than the people I'm dealing with. Right. But anyway, it's a good thing now because I can always refer back to these messages. Um, But this is what he texted me after that. He was like, Lauren, thank you for causing me to see my father on his 90th year on earth. I'm in awe of discussions we had and the ease in which we found ourselves in the comfort of our of our relating as we did 60 years ago when I was seven father and first son. I was molded then. And today we looked at what he had done. I appreciated his love and he, my result pleasing to him. And I remember I replied back. I said, I'm happy I could assist in this beautiful moment for you two. I'm happy to be descendants of you all. It gives me the strength to continue to build the Miller legacy. I love you. He said, I will. And my father will help me help you continue the legacy. And so as I look back, I think about that time. My dad was going to say goodbye. And he wanted to have that moment with his dad because he knew that was that was going to be the last time that he was going to have with his dad in the physical. And um, towards the end, as I'm like talking to him, because, you know, he's not phys- he's not mentally able to talk back but he's responding you know I'm having all of these conversations and and this is where I'm extremely grateful because I done said everything I wanted to say to this man when he was alive and well you know what I mean so it wasn't a situation where I didn't get to say or what about or anything like that but it was just like this is not it like are you kidding me like all of the times we've been in this hospital like this is gonna be it you know what I mean like making jokes um and then I remember when we had finally got to the last um, the last issue, and I think the issue was the last issue that the doctors had said it was like your your father has a blood infection, and in order for us to rid him of it, we have to take out all of his IVs, and he has to be without the IVs for at least two days. But because of your father's disease and his condition, he cannot go without his medicine and nutrients for two days. And this blood disease will kill him. So y'all have a decision to make um, because he's not getting off this ventilator. Um, And so... You know, as the power of attorney, you know, um, I know what this means. You know what I mean? Essentially, they're asking me, like, you know, 
when are you going to be okay with taking him off? And um, for a while, I was just like, ain't okay. Ain't We ain't doing it because it's something else. We can figure something else out. Like, we can try, you know. And uh, I remember when people made, you know, other people in the family made their way up, um, you know, to visit him, you know, and say their goodbyes and stuff. And, and then we had finally settled on a date of uh, 2-11. And it was a Sunday. And I just remember being like, man, this man going out like an old rich white man. Like, you got all your family here. All our eyes on you, you know what I mean? Like, this is very ceremonious, you know what I mean? And I remember my little sister played him Sam Cooke, played him like James Brown. Each one of us had our own time with him. And I remember the night before on the 10th, like, I spent the night with him. And I just held his hand all night long. I just remember saying, like, you know, it's okay. It's okay to go. I forgive you. Um, It's okay. And, um, you know, another thing that I had realized in that moment is like, you know, sometimes we we pray for people to get through things and to stay or we want them to stay for selfish reasons when they may have already made their peace. Um, and um, on 2-11 at like six, me and all my siblings um, in the room and uh, and. uh Finally gave the go ahead and um we were <laughs> we were all there together and um yeah he he died, you know, it was like crazy. Like I there's this lyric in a two chain song and he said you probably never seen your dad die. And every time I hear that, I'm just like, shit, like, fuck, I saw my dad die. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I saw, like, life leave him, you know what I mean? And um, it's so crazy, like, thinking about it, because it was such a beautiful, beautiful yet, like, hard moment. It was kind of, like, the best, like, the best of the worse situation you know what I mean it's just like I would much rather have been there with my siblings than like been out in the world and got a phone call or like us not have been there or we couldn't have prepped so it was like it really was the best of the worst situation and like I said I remember just cracking up I was like of course dad like you went out your way and in hindsight you know I thought about you know the fact that you know he did beat that disease you know what I'm saying because he elected to get that reversal of the surgery. He wasn't rushed to the hospital because he had an exacerbation or any issue. He went out because he believed that it was worth the risk of living a better life. And when I finally acknowledged that, I was like, shit, he went out his way. Like, this is what he wanted. You know what I mean? Like, this is the type A, by any means necessary, I'm going to do it my way type ass nigga. And man, rather. And, you know, that is, you know, how he went out. You know what I mean? And I just remember during that time period, the doctors were just, 
you know, so in awe or, you know, just were taken aback by the whole situation because, you know, they had never seen a black man that had, you know, 24-7 care staff who could afford it. You know, we had family coming to see, like, people advocating. We getting second and third and fourth opinions on things. And I don't say that to boast. I say that because during this whole process of taking care of my father, he would say, like, Lauren, Although we are going through this on a personal level, we are advocating for black people that will come behind us because they're going to treat people differently because they experienced us. They're going to know that they can't just dick around with you just because we black or they think that we ain't got or whatever. You know what I mean? We're setting a certain precedent. Yeah, they need to see a black man that got the means to have somebody here no matter who is in here. Right. Um, So all of those things are you know coming to my mind towards the end and you know I I shared this on the last episode about how um you know all of the things that you need to do once somebody dies was already mapped out you want no question you want to be buried in my house cool me and my brother figure out a meeting get a meeting together um and the craziest thing was like this was during like Charter Week of Morehouse, and I was just like, "Bruh, really? We gonna have to try to figure out how they gonna allocate a day to have a auditorium available for this man's funeral during a Charter Week? They got a list of events." But you know, we went in there and was kind of like, "It listen, this is our father's wish, and you got to grant it." Okay, he was an Atlanta legend. Okay. Uh, Morehouse legend too. He's more than worthy. Um, and this is what he wants. And this is his wish. And we are his kids. And you ain't finna crush our spirits <laughs> by not making this work. And um, yeah, they ended up agreeing. Of course, you know, business around that. But um, I remember when I was cleaning up my father's room, I had came across a couple of papers that had indicated that he had been giving back to Morehouse on a regular basis. So he knew, he knew, he knew, he knew <laughs> that years later we was going to be going like, uh, yeah, y'all need to make these arrangements happen. Um, But I will say that there was this sense of pride, you know, because of course, like once somebody passes, you know, you're hearing these stories, people are, you know, coming out the woodwork to tell you stories. And even to this day, I'll I'll go online and search, uh, you know, where people can like share their comments after somebody passes away. And just to see so many people thank him, so many black business owners thank him for the work and for the path that he charted, um, you know, for minority businesses to have a piece of the pie, an American dream, you know, um, and, you know, I thought I knew everything there was to know about this man. And you realize that shit is so much more to know. Um, but I will say that, you know, at that time, you know, it took a while for me to truly believe that that we had finally gotten to this to this side. You know what I mean? Because we had been planning for it for. For so long, right? You know, we going through the the highs and the lows of caregiving and all that kind of stuff, and path, you know, working and charting the path to the end. And we at the end, and it's very eerie, right? It's just like because there's all there have been so much energy to get to this point. You get to this point, it's just like, now what now? You know what I mean? Like, who am I now? 
Like, so much of who I am was being there for him. You know what I mean? And, you know, also accepting the fact that we are now on this other side, but then also realizing that there was a relief that I felt. And I will say I only felt comfortable even saying that out loud this year, right? Of like, you know, because in in a sense you can feel bad of saying like, how do you have relief after somebody dies, right? But all of my caregivers out there know that there is relief that comes with the end of your caregiving role because of so much emotional, mental, and physical weight and unstableness and heaviness that comes from taking on that role. It was like there was a relief of like not worried about like waking up and being like getting a text that this is it, like your dad didn't make it, you know what I mean? Or like that, you know, they didn't make a delivery of the oxygen or like, you know, dealing with the doctors or like just constantly living under that gray cloud. You know what I mean? And in a way, because I experienced so much trauma and really had mourned his death countless times prior to his actual death, in those moments, in those immediate moments, or I guess the first couple of months, I didn't really feel the magnitude of the end because I had gone through so much t- trauma already. You know what I mean? Um, and granted, like what I experienced today is a different level of grief, right? So, like, I'm grieving. I'm going to be grieving forever. But caregiving is in your face every single day. There's no space, no mental space for anything else, really. And you're you're having to juggle so much. So even though I'm now juggling, grieving is not at the forefront of my life. You know what I mean? There's aspects of my life that I have back. There is a burning desire <laughs> to carry my father and his story everywhere I go. You will not know me without knowing him. Ain't no way. People know if you talk to me for five minutes, you ain't going to get to the 10th minute without me saying something about my daddy. And that's what he knew. I remember sending him a postcard from Brazil and saying that the world will know you. If the world knows me, they're going to know you. Because I'm so honored, so honored to be your daughter. And so once he passed, it was like, it's game on. You know what I mean? And I made the decision that, okay, Lauren, like, although prior to this, like, you had relaunched your business, launched the business behind your brand, you got these event series going on, but it was like, it's not the time. You need to take time off to grieve, one, but to, two, process the emotional trauma that you went through, right? Because when you are in the thick of caregiving, all that kind of stuff, all the things that I've described, you know, from the near-death experiences, the ER rides, his life being in my hands, there is no time to deal with those experiences when they're happening because it's something else. So once he passed, I knew I needed to, to grieve his death. I needed to deal with the traumatic experiences that I just couldn't deal with because there just was no time to. And then thirdly, to secure the family business. 
You know what I mean? So I was like, all right, I'm taking a hiatus from my platform, which I did, which for a lot of people, like, girl, you said goodbye. Like, them people going to be there when you get back? Like, what the hell? And I was just like, there's so much meaning that comes from death. There's so much life. There's so much wisdom. There's so much that comes from death. There's so much goodness um, that comes from death. And one of those things was like, I'm on a different timeline. I'm here to secure the next 100 years of my family's legacy. I ain't on no five-year plan, no 10-year plan. Like, I'm playing a long game. You know what I mean? And when you start to see your role as it relates to your family's, you know, you fifth-generation entrepreneur, like, the magnitude of, of what I've been called to do is greater than me dealing with my platform right now where my mental health, my sanity, this family business is way more important than anything else. Um, and then also just calming through all of the wisdom, all of the aha, aha moments that come with um, the death of a loved one. I think there's so much clarity, clear, crystal clear. And then mapping out all of the seeds that he planted. You know what I mean? You want to get everything out because you're having all these aha moments. Like, oh, that's a business. Oh, this, 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 and that. Um, and so it was like hyper- hyper alert about everything about legacy about my family about continuing legacy about sharing our story about the importance of of carving out this time to have these um intergenerational conversations the importance of black history the importance of self-sufficiency the importance of black owned businesses the importance all of these things are like at the forefront and it's giving me a newfound purpose right and so you know all of these things are manifesting in terms of who Lauren is, who is this Lauren that's coming out of the fire, right? Who is this Lauren who has been through all of this? What is the wisdom? What have you inherited even beyond this business? I inherited knowledge, business ideas, principles, um, education, a network, you know, the list goes on that I'm still grateful for. Um, but the newfound mission of advocating and, and educating my community on succession planning, on self-sufficiency, on what, what legacy looks like, on what continuing a 150-year legacy of ownership looks like, you know what I mean, and being proud, you know what I mean. My dad will always say we are no better than anybody else. We're just different. We have to use this difference to help people that look like us. And that became even more important once he left. You know what I mean? And I will also say that because he did have such a big legacy, you know what I mean? He's in the U.S. Um, Library of Congress. You know what I mean? You know, he has changed Atlanta for the better, like to have such a legendary um legacy and then have an actual physical business and an asset for me and my siblings and my brother specifically to continue that ended up being therapy right so it's like to have something that I can actively pursue that is keeping my dad's legacy alive is almost like continuing to have a relationship with him on this side you know what I mean I'm now learning how to develop our relationship 
in the spiritual realm, right? Which is what I experienced today. It's like, all right, our relationship in the physical has now ended, but because of this business, because of the transfer of knowledge, because of my family history, because of the newfound missions that you have embedded in me, I have a relationship with you daily. You know what I mean? Down to the point of, you know, the fact that I remember growing up, I would sweep up pennies and I would want to like throw them in the trash. I'm like, it's a penny. Like, you know, I'm cleaning up. My dad will always damn near slap me one time. Like, if you don't know the value of a penny, you'll never know the value of a million dollars. You do not walk over any money. If you see anything in the ground, you pick it up. You know, you're not too good for any of that. Right. Or like him making correct change. I used to always be annoyed. Like, just give them an extra dollar. Like, why are you trying to get exact change? It's like, this is all like value of money. So now anytime I see a coin on the ground, I always think about him because I know it's him. It's like, okay, I got you. I hear you. You know what I mean? Um, and so little things like that is how I define our relationship in the spiritual. Cause I definitely tap into calling him, you know, my ancestors. That's a real thing. Yes. I pray to God. God is my savior. Jesus, all that kind of good stuff. But uh, developing relationship with your answers ain't nothing wrong with that. It ain't taboo. It ain't, ooh, it ain't no voodoo, no type shit like that. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, like I said before, I am just, you know, just super grateful for that experience because I, I am sure. And what I know to be true is the foundation of my greatness of where I'm headed in this life and what I accomplish in this life that is rooted in my experience. This experience is rooted in the experience that I had with my dad, the experience of this father and this daughter going through this process. That will be the foundation to my greatness. Cause I will tell you that, you know, I had a fairly great, you know, upbringing, you know, like hardships. Yeah. But not true adversity. I will say being my father's caregiver, being broken that, us winning business, us triumphing, living in a hotel, like all of that was my adversity. That's my, you know, growing up in the hood story, if you will. You know what I mean? Of really being appreciative of what I have and and being clear on why I'm here and and really understanding that I'm here to serve. I'm here to lead. I'm here to empower. Um, like I said, I'm forever grateful, forever grateful, forever grateful. And I'm just even more grateful that today I get to experience peace that I pray for y'all. I prayed, I pray for the peace that I get to experience today. You know, you'll never know what it's like to feel like your daddy's life is in your hands. That type of trauma. Woo. Okay. Um, so I know this was a lot and I'm so happy that we got through it together and there weren't too, too many tears. And I guess in closing, I will just say, like I said before, you know, that I am honored that God chose me to be on that journey with my father at the end of his life. I am honored that God chose me to receive those lessons and the wisdom and the experience to know what true compassion is, to truly know what selflessness is, 
to truly know what putting somebody first is, you know, to truly know what delayed gratification is, to truly know what hard work is, to know how to push through all of these life lessons I got from that experience, you know, um, and I'm forever grateful. Like I said, you know, I know I'll be accepting some award 15, 20, 30 years from now. Uh, and I will be thanking my father in, in, in highlighting this time period. You know, one of my goals is to be at Morehouse one day, cutting the red ribbon of a building named after my dad because he's deserving, okay? More than deserving. And he got a goddamn daughter like me who's a firecracker out here okay ain't stopping till the family business is we at we in the nine-figure lane i ain't stopping till we in the nine-figure family okay um so yeah i hope you enjoyed this episode through all the tears thank you so much for tuning in i really appreciate it um Until next time, make sure you tell a friend and a friend and a friend to listen to the Walk Around Knowledge podcast. Make sure you like and subscribe. And yeah, until next time, I'll holler at y'all.